Welcome to the Wellness Within podcast. We are a nonprofit wellness center for patients, survivors, caregivers, and families affected by the trauma of cancer. We provide a wide range of services that enhance an individual's ability to experience quality of life. And we believe that everyone should have access to our programs and conversations, which are offered freely to ensure that no one is ever denied the support they need. If you find inspiration in what we share, we invite you to consider supporting Wellness Within through a donation. Your generosity enables us to continue offering these valuable resources to our community. To make a donation and contribute to the well-being of those facing cancer, please visit our website at wellnesswithin.org or click the link in the episode description. Your support makes a difference. So thank you for being a vital part of our mission. Together, we empower whole person well-being, bridging gaps, and reconnecting to what is most meaningful. Welcome to Wellness Within. We would like to thank Koinonia Family Services, Consolidated Communications, and Merchants Bank of Commerce, who in part sponsor this podcast. Join us for relaxing meditations and enlivening conversations about topics that support wellness in the presence of cancer. To access our class schedule, to make a donation, or to sign up for our newsletter, please visit wellnesswithin.org. And that just be glad you're alive trope drives me up the wall. And people are told that. Just be glad you're alive, right? And and I think that that is such a silencing statement. Because if you're only allowed to be glad that you're alive, what about quality of life? And sexuality is part of quality of life. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Wellness Within podcast series. And today I have a very special guest. I'm very excited to have Dr. Ann Katz here. And this topic in particular is going to deal with intimacy and sex. Now, Dr. Ann Katz is a clinician. She's an author of 13, soon to be 16, the right books. <laughs> she's an editor, she's an educator, and she has a website that she's going to share with you and tell you a little bit more about herself. Thank you so much, Anne, for joining us here today. I'm excited to be here. You know, I'm going to be talking about my two favorite subjects, me <laughs> and cancer and sexuality. So uh, thanks for the invitation. I, you know, in my well, I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but in my advanced, slightly advanced age, I have fully embraced social media and the internet. Uh, you can find my personal website, well, my personal professional website, really. It's just www.drannkatz.com. So that's D-R-A-N-N-E-K-A-T-Z.com. I'm on Instagram at Dr. Ann Katz. I'm on Twitter at Dr. Ann Katz. I'm all over the place. And my mission is 
just to get people talking about sexuality and particularly in the realm of cancer, because we know that the treatment of cancer causes all kinds of sexual problems for people. And, you know, you're, you're not going to hear me say intimacy a lot, because intimacy really refers to the emotional closeness or connection that one has with one's partner. I talk about sexuality all the time, because sexuality is a really broad concept that encompasses physical, emotional, social well-being as it relates to sexuality. So it's about who we are attracted to, who we desire, our thoughts and fantasies, and our sexual behaviors. So, so sexuality is really this broad concept. It also encompasses things like body image. And we know that, you know, people who've been treated for cancer will very often have body image issues. And it's not just women, it's men as well. I think the, the term sexual health is talked about a lot. And I think it's just perhaps a misunderstanding because sexual health may be part of sexuality, but sexual health really is much more of a public health concept than sexuality. Sexual health is part of sexuality and sexuality is this big umbrella term. And then if you are lucky, right, you will have an intimate connection with a person that you're sexual with, but not always right? A one night stand from our generation, what young people today call a hookup, uh, is generally anything but intimate, right? Yeah. It's sex. Yeah. It might be really hot sex. It might be really novel sex. It might be really exciting sex. It might be really good sex, but it's not intimate for the most part. Right. Why do you think it is in your experience that people get that so confused, especially when we're talking about someone who's dealing with cancer? In part, it comes from healthcare providers or oncology care providers who for some reason feel more comfortable saying sexual health. You know, for me, sexual health really, you know, beyond the public health focus with, you know, prevention or treatment of sexually transmitted infections, etc. Um, sexual health tends, in, in my conception of it, to sort of be more biomedical. And unfortunately, oncology care providers and many other healthcare providers really do think within that biomedical model. And, you know, I think that it is so much more than that. My practice focuses on the whole person in the context of their life. Whereas, you know, certainly some of my medical colleagues will think about a sarcoma or a breast cancer, um, you know, sort of much, a much narrower focus because that's been their training. Yeah, that's true. It's not even that they have to be the experts. You know, it is really about at least suggesting to have the conversation with somebody. Just ask and then keep your mouth shut because <laughs> human beings don't like silence. So my very first book, which was a textbook for oncology care providers, was called Breaking the Silence on Cancer and Sexuality. Human beings do not like silence in a conversation. So what you want to do is you ask the question and you don't have to, you know, even say sex. You can say something like, how has your relationship with your partner changed since you were diagnosed or since you finished treatment or while you're having chemotherapy? And then keep quiet because someone has to break that silence and you want it to be the patient. Yes, right. 
the patient and I'm, you know, I'm a nurse by, by education. So you're going to hear patient, patient from me. I don't have clients. You know, the patient will break that silence. And sometimes they don't because they are so shocked that someone has actually asked them a question about something other than how's your nausea, right? You know, has your diarrhea resolved? Somehow oncology care providers are comfortable talking about those kind of icky things, right? Mm -hmm. um, but somehow we're not, you know, we're not comfortable talking about sexuality, which encompasses body image, which encompasses desire, a whole bunch of stuff. So, you know, even if the patient doesn't break the silence and it's uncomfortable, let's face it, you know, you're sitting there in a room looking at someone and no one's saying anything, right. but they're probably silent because they're so shocked that someone has asked, they will come back. They will come back because they know that you raised the topic. So you've got to be open about talking about it. They'll think about it on the way home. Right. And the next time they see you, they will say, hey, That's remember you asked yeah. about my relationship well. Yeah, even if just the asking, because it would seem that stirs it, right? All Like you said, you know, driving home and you're thinking about it is, yeah, I wonder who I can talk to about this. Because maybe it's not your oncologist. Maybe it is your support group, you know. Absolutely. Or, or, you know, a very close friend who you can at least start that conversation. Yeah, and you know, so so when I ask oncology care providers or other healthcare providers for that matter. You know, what are the barriers for you asking about this? What makes it difficult? And the number one issue that I hear is, I don't know, what if the patient asks me a question and I can't answer? Oh. What most patients want is validation and normalization that they are not alone, that there are other people who are experiencing the same things that they are, because People with cancer, particularly when they're having body image or sexual issues, feel so alone because we don't talk about it openly. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and I know as a nurse myself, right, we have checklists in our head. I'm seeing this patient, they're six months or six weeks or whatever post, you know, the end of treatment. These are the questions that I'm going to ask. And we go, chick, 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 chick. When there's conversation involved around any of those and times are ticking, right, and you've got, you know, however much time, the sexuality stuff is way down on the bottom of that mental list. And so it doesn't get asked. Or it was asked once and you've put that mental tick in and you don't ask again. This is something that needs to be asked as part of routine assessment, as part of follow-up, right? Because that patient may not even be thinking about sex right? right through treatment because you know they're feeling they're feeling awful or for whatever or whatever or they're not they're single at the time of treatment right? right a year later they meet somebody you're seeing them in follow-up and you just make this assumption you know they're single or I've asked that question and things you know things change across the lifespan don't they you know I'm certainly not what I was in my 20s you <laughs> um right in some aspects right you know the yeah, wrinkles yeah. I could do with that you know this is something that needs to be asked over and over and over and just asking once is not enough I totally agree I also think the topic in and of itself is uncomfortable even for the person dealing with cancer right because there's so much at least all I can talk to you about is um you have far more experience than I have and in my myopic world when I work with at the center, when the topic comes up, there's so much, well, I'm so lucky to be alive, and, you know, kind of 
minimizing it a little bit and not giving yourself permission to say, hey, I want to have these feelings again. I am allowed to have these feelings again, even if they're different, just to be able to pursue that. And what, what, do, you, what do you think about that? So, you know, I think part of the issue there is that people are not given permission to yes. talk about it. Right. You know, so we talk about the side effects and I've seen this over and over in the context of, of women with hormone dependent breast cancer. So, you know, we put them on aromatase inhibitors, for example, for, for postmenopausal women. And I have read so many studies other than one, but I've read so many studies historically that, you know, talk about why women go off this medication, right? And you hear about joint pain and you hear about, you know, hot flashes. Nobody talks about vulvovaginal dryness. Yes. So if it's not talked about as a side effect, women are not going to raise it because they don't have permission. Because if it was important, their oncology care provider, oncologist, radiation oncologist, nurse, social worker would ask about it. And that just be glad you're alive trope drives me up the wall. And people are told that. Just be glad you're alive, right? And, and I think that that is, that is such a silencing statement. Because if you're only allowed to be glad that you're alive, what about quality of life? Yes. And sexuality is part of quality of life. Yes. It might not be number one or number two. But think about somebody who's in a new relationship. It's really important. It may not be that important in a 40-year-old relationship. Mm -hmm. But in a new relationship, it's important. And I have had both men and women say to me, because I cannot have pain-free sex, because I cannot get an erection, because I cannot maintain an erection, I am damaged goods, nobody will want me. I cannot tell you how many times I have heard that. Wow. You know, unless I'm able to have an erection, there's no point. No woman is going to want me from a 70 year old man. Right. Mm. Who is interested in women in their mid to late 60s, postmenopausal women for whom, you know, perhaps companionship is more important than swinging from the chandelier. So. So, yeah, it's important. So what do you say? To someone who's dealing with cancer, woman or a man, to say, how do you even begin to help them to have that conversation, start that conversation with the person, whoever that person is, that they want to have a sexual relationship with? To be honest and open about it. You know, I've role played these conversations with patients, you know, so pretend I'm, you know, Barbara, you know, just open up the conversation. Somebody has to. Yeah, it's not an easy conversation, in part because I think that, you know, human beings communicate with a sexual partner like dolphins and whales with grunts and squeaks. And it's hard to find the words, you know, things don't feel the same for me. Right. You know, I encourage people to talk in I statements. It tickles when I'm touched, you know, on my chest wall where my breast used to be. Mm. my breasts don't respond the same way to touch since I've had reconstruction, right? Not, you know, you make me feel like or whatever. You know, these are my no-go zones. 
be open and honest about it. And, and of course, it's not easy. You know, I don't think for, for the most part, most of us are find it easy to talk about things with someone that we love dearly, that we are attracted to. But, you know, time has changed things. It isn't easy. But if you don't talk about it, it really becomes that growing elephant in the room mm -hmm. and you skirt around the issue. And sometimes people lie and people pretend. Yes, right. You know, many, many years ago, there was an international breast cancer conference in the city where I live, and it was for, for healthcare providers as well as women with breast cancer. And I did a support group type thing one lunchtime. Lots and lots of women. There was a young woman in her 30s standing against the wall. And when it was time for questions and answers, you know, the question period, she raised her hand very, very tentatively. And I said, you know, ask your question. And she said, how do I tell my husband that when he touches my chest wall, this is a woman who'd had a mastectomy and had not had reconstruction. Mm. She said, how do I tell him that when he touches my chest wall, it hurts like heck. Mm. It feels like I'm being stabbed by a hot knife. I mean, that's how descriptive she was. Mm. She said, you know, I know that he's doing that to show acceptance and love, that it doesn't make any difference to him that I'm missing a breast, but it hurts. And my first question to her was, how long has this been going on? And she said, two years. How do you backtrack after two years? Wow. Right? Oh. That's really hard. His feelings are going to be hurt because he's been trying. Right. right, to show her love and affection and acceptance for two years. And for two years, she hasn't said anything. Mm. It's difficult. Painful. Yeah. Were you able to give her any? I talked to her about, you know, needing to be truthful and honest about it in a kind and loving way mm -hmm. and to apologize mm -hmm. for lying, right, or for hiding her pain for so long. It's so vulnerable. So vulnerable. You know, those conversations are never easy to have. They really aren't. And, and, and you know this as a, as a therapist, that when you get a couple in a room with a professional objective third person, it's kind of magic, right? Things yeah, happen. Right. Can be. Right? Yeah. Yes. Right? You know, and sometimes I think that I could be, you know, I could say, okay, you two talk among yourselves. I'm just going to check my email. Obviously, I don't do that. <laughs> right? yeah. You know, but you see couples turn towards each other and start to talk because your presence right, will keep the emotions in check, right? You're not going to let people start yelling at each other in your, in your office. You know, so I certainly recommend getting some professional help. And it doesn't have to be, you know, Dr. Freud, lie on my couch, you're going to be doing this three times a week for the next 20 years. Sometimes people can talk meaningfully in one or two sessions and boom, bang, yeah, right? I, they find right. resolution. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And what about partners? If you're the spouse, or the partner of somebody who has dealt with significant after effects of cancer, what do you say to them about how they may want to lean into that? Because there's a lot of fear on the other side too, I would imagine, right? Absolutely. So, you know, here's another story. I was seeing this couple and this was a woman who'd had breast cancer. She was on an aromatase inhibitor. She had 
profound vulvovaginal, and you'll hear I always say vulvovaginal, right? Because it's not always just vaginal, it's often the external genitalia as well, the vulva. And she had profound dryness. And, you know, she said, when she called me to book the appointment, she says, you know, this is what I'm going through. I'm having these repeated urinary tract infections because of the loss of estrogen. And sometimes I have bleeding after sex. And I said, look, you know, you're not, you're not going to solve this by yourself. You and your husband need to come in and, and talk to me. So in our first meeting, I said, so tell me what's going on for you. You know, she said, you know, it's, sex has become really, really painful. And, she, and then she said, but the only thing that keeps me going is the knowledge that my husband doesn't know. And that, you know, I, when I'm lying there the, and the tears come to my, into my eyes, they, they trickle down my face into the pillow. And I glanced over at him. I will never forget the look on his face. He knew that sex was extremely painful for her, but she wasn't confessing, right? She wasn't telling yeah, him this. Right, right. You know, he said, and, and he broke down and he said, you know, I can tell because her jaw is clenched. Oh. Um, and, you know, what we not infrequently see is that a male partner develops their own sexual problems because they know that they're hurting the woman. They feel guilty for, you know, being desirous. Um, so we see men develop erectile dysfunction. We see men develop premature ejaculation because they just want to get it over and done with. And then there's that guilt and pain and nobody's talking about it. Uh, ouch. Yeah. So, you know, or sometimes what happens is that the couple starts going to bed at different times, right? It becomes this whole cycle of avoidance. Sometimes mm -hmm. people pick arguments with each other because, mm -hmm. you know, it's not helpful if you, if you enjoy makeup sex, but, um, you know, they'll sort of create these conflicted situations, you know, as part of this avoidance instead of just talking it out. So in that scenario that you were describing with that husband saying he knew, that's one of those is like how how painful it, what it illustrates to me is how painful and uncomfortable it is to say you seem uncomfortable i don't want to make you uncomfortable i don't want to put you in pain to broach that conversation is yeah again very vulnerable there's a lot of fear around it and, and you know well well what a, how do i do that and is it going to change our sex life? oh my gosh just yeah with layers of there's you know there's so many layers and you know I never use the word uncomfortable other than this is an uncomfortable conversation right <laughs> yeah. um, because it's pain I mean have you ever heard someone say labor yeah labor you're going to be uncomfortable really <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, um, very true I've done it twice it wasn't uncomfortable uh, <laughs> yeah you know these conversations are not easy to have you know and I think that's why counseling or therapy can be so helpful because yeah. I'm going to ask those questions, right? I'm yeah. going to probe. I will never say, oh, because I will often see the couple separately at least once. You know, I will never say, well, you know, Dan told me because, you know, this is the cone of silence, right? And confidentiality. Right. Right. But I can ask, there's a certain, as you yeah. know, there's a certain skill set involved here. And I can Absolutely. ask in a, in a yeah. gentle way, well, what about... And, you know, it's, I mean, first of all, it's, it's the most gratifying practice I have ever had to be, you know, to be at that interface with, with vulnerable, vulnerable people. But it's also so, you know, amazing to see, you know, this, to see couples resolve their issues. Yes. Yes. By talking. So <laughs> right? 
yeah, there's so much power when you break through that, when there's freedom that everybody gets to experience that the elephant is no longer in the middle of the room. Yeah, 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 for sure. Well, because of time, I want to make sure we also go to body acceptance, because that is another huge issue is do you have some tips for our listeners and how to address body acceptance, physical changes? Yeah. So, you know, first of all, we are our harshest judges. Right. And both men and women get all these messages around what you're supposed to look like. Right. And we know that it's, you know, it's a social creation. You just have to look at art across the the ages. Right. To recognize that body shape and body size has changed so much. So, you know, here's another story. I have so often had a couple in in my office. And, you know, damn COVID, I can't see people in my office anymore. It's all Zoom or phone. And, right. you know, I'm, I miss that desperately, but not infrequently. A woman will turn to her partner and say, how can you possibly still want me? Because I've gained so much weight. I have a body part missing. I have this, you know, giant scar. And why don't surgeons make nice scars? Um, and often I will actually stop the conversation and I'll say, hang on a minute, let's just look at your partner. Do they look the same as they did 20, 30, 40 years ago? And everybody laughs, right? Because our bodies changes over time. Right. right. You know, men have that thing where their butt disappears and becomes kind of flat and they get that little pot belly in the front. Of course your partner doesn't look like he used to. Do you love that person any less? Of course not, is always the response. You know, he or she has been so amazing as I went through treatment and I feel so much closer to them, blah, 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 right? You know, that important stuff. Okay, do you think you could grant yourself the same grace? Oof. Right? And yeah. and it's not just women. I mean, I think for a long time, we've talked about this whole body image thing, you know, for women that we get all these messages. Men get the same messages, you know, particularly now where they, you know, the internet and men's magazines and stuff, a 60-year-old man is not supposed to look like a 23-year-old guy who spends four hours in the gym. Right. I have had men in tears in my office, men with advanced or recurrent prostate cancer who are on androgen deprivation therapy that takes away all their testosterone, mm-hmm. right? And they get upper body muscle weakness and upper body shrinkage. They get that spare tire abdominal obesity. Some of them get breast enlargement. I've had men say to me, I have had to buy a complete new wardrobe because I used to wear like, you know, t-shirts or polo shirts. And I've got these boobs, they'll say to me, Mm. it looks terrible. So now I have to buy cotton shirts to hide that. You know, men experience body image issues too. You know, it's a long process of acceptance. And you know what? Some of us never accept our body image. I was just going to say that. I mean, I think it's an age old issue. Cancer or not cancer is accepting your body and the perception of what you come to believe it's supposed to look like or what you think your partner wants it to look like. Correct. I also tell people that lust puts blinkers on people. And you don't necessarily notice, you know, the stuff that we get like so twisted about. And if we love our partner for the essence of them, do you not think they do the same for us? Yeah. Right. You know, I mean, you know, I think to a certain extent there has been more sort of body positive, body acceptance stuff going on in the last while, but there is still judgment. 
Yes, indeed there is. I mean, there's judgments on the outside externally, but there also is that internal voice, which is even more harsh. Yeah. You know, one of the things I talk about is let's talk about what your body can do. Yeah. Right. You, you know, you got to my office today when you were going through chemotherapy. I'm not sure that would have been positive. Right. Right. You climbed the four flights of stairs to get to my office because the elevator was out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you huffed and puffed when you got to the top, but so do I. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, think about where you have been in terms of your body's ability to move, to do the things that you want to do. And think about where you are right now. Our bodies are miraculous. They really are. Yeah, indeed. And even though a lot of, at least what I've heard over the years is I feel so beat up. I don't feel like myself. I don't know how to be back in my body this way. I mean, there's just, there's just so much work that has to happen for a lot of, like you said, men as well, is to get to the level of acceptance and saying, well, but this is who I am today. Because not only the physical part, right? There's also the mental, you know, the spiritual, you know, emotional part that has changed when you have a life altering disease. Yeah. And, you know, I think often the focus really is on the losses. But, you know, I talk to people, you know, I bet you two years ago, you could not imagine having gotten through what you have gotten through. So true. Right? Because yes. none of us can imagine that. And yet you did, which shows, you know, a huge amount of personal strength, yeah. mental and emotional and, and spiritual for some people. And, you know, we know that personal growth is possible. Yes, very, very, very true. And, and probable. I, yeah. And one last note, I know I'm squeezing this in, but this is a real important one that I see a lot is the numbing, you know, whether it be alcohol or whatever it is, is a way to just numb and not deal with it. And any words, wisdom around when your experiences, when you notice that, you know, the, to raise the awareness of at least for people to say, do you understand why you may be feeling the need to drink a couple of glasses of X, Y, Z, whatever that is at night before you go to bed? Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, there's, there's the sort of factual stuff, you know, alcohol yeah. is a stimulant, you're right. going to have a terrible night's sleep. But, you know, I think there's also that emotional numbing which perhaps is more ubiquitous Mm. um, and people need time, I think, to, yeah, it's, you know, sometimes you're numb. You sometimes you, you, and this happens particularly for women sexually, that dissociation, right? Right. That you're, that, that to get through the treatment, you had to kind of disconnect from your body because everybody was looking at your body and at very private parts of your body and, you know, the kind of the probing and the, the um, examinations and, and people do dissociate from that, but you know, it's going to get you, (laughs) right? You have to address it because if you don't do it, it's going to come out in some other way. So I think, you know, that often is where the alcohol as a coping mechanism or, or other recreational drugs or overeating or, mm-hmm. you know, those kinds of things. If you don't attend to your baggage, right, that backpack is going to get bigger and the rocks are going to be heavier and you can't, eventually you can't walk forward because you're carrying such a heavy burden. You got to start addressing those rocks and getting rid of them out of your backpack so you can walk, you know, freely. Wow. Yes, very true. And back to what you said is that's where you really get to experience that excitement about and personal growth is when you say, and I went through all this and it was hard and I'm going to start to celebrate who I am because of it. 
by getting rid of some of these rocks that are weighing me down. Yep. Wow. Well, any last note of wisdom to share with our listeners before we sign off here today? You know, I think just to have the courage, because I think it does, you know, require courage to reach out for help. Reach out for help. You know, if a car rolls over your foot and you have a couple of broken bones, you are not going to walk on that foot. There is emotional and psychic trucks that roll over you and, and you gotta, you know, you gotta get help. And, and, you know, for, for any healthcare providers that are listening to this, you don't have to be the expert, particularly in the area of sexuality, but you need to know where to refer patients. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so very much, Anne. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. All right, folks. So for more resources and to listen to Anne's podcast, please visit her website at www.drannkatz and that's d-r-a-n-n-e-k-a-t-z dot com she has a lovely podcast there's some great material out there and many many books please go visit her website to listen to more and feel like you are on the road with someone who understands thank you so much everybody and thank you again Anne. you're very welcome thank you bye 